Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch b'shem Adonai. This week's reading of the Agarit Romans will be chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And we will be correlating it to Parsha Bamidbar, which takes place in Sefer Bamidbar, chapter 1, through chapter 4, verse 20. And Agarit Romans, chapter 2, 17 through 20. But if you are called by the name Yehudi, which is Jew, and rely on the Torah, and boast in Hashem, and have da'at of His will, and approve the things that matter, being instructed from the Torah, and being confident that you are a more derech, which is a teacher and a guide of the way. So a teacher of the way. Of the Ivrim, blind ones, and an or for those in Choshek. And or for those in Choshek. So going back to 19 to read this appropriately. And be and being confident that you are a more Derek, a teacher of the way of the Ivrim, the blind ones, and or for those in Choshek, which is a light for those in darkness, a rabbinic more, a basically a teacher of the oral Torah and the written Torah. Of the foolish, a melamed, which is an instructor, of the young, having the embodiment of da'at, which is knowledge, like Torah knowledge, and emet in the Torah, which obviously emet is truth. So, da'at and emet. So what is the difference between da'at and emet? Well, the da'at is the container that emet is in. So one who wants to be a person who attaches himself to truth, which is emet, you have to have da'at. You have to have the, the vessel in which truth is dispensed. So when you look at da'at, yes, this is one of the ten sephirot, and da'at is the middle, and it is a, it is the combination of chokmah and bina. Chokmah is wisdom, bina is understanding. When you take your wisdom and it works together with your understanding, this is what knowledge is. And this knowledge brings about what's called emet, which is truth. So this is why... We get the verse in Tehillim that says, your Torah is truth. So let's take a look at this for one moment. Was not planning to go into this, but uh, we're going to now. So 
This is Tehillim 119 verse 142 says your righteousness is everlasting and your Torah is truth. Okay, and then just a few cross references. Uh, Tehillim 119 verse 160. Your word is the essence of truth and all your righteous judgments endure. Tehillim 1919. The fear of Adonai is pure, enduring forever. The judgments of Adonai are true, being altogether righteous. So, where exactly am I going with this? I am going with this that the Torah being da'at and the Torah containing truth is where I want to ultimately land this. So if you think about anytime someone wants to talk about the Torah and however they want to say if Torah is good or if Torah is not good, you should do Torah, you shouldn't do Torah. First thing out of the gate, you have to know that Torah is Da'at, which is literally the Da'at of Hashem, and it contains truth. Something that contains truth should not be up for debate as far as do we abide by it? Is it a ruling system? The only way it's up for debate is if you want to align yourself with what's called a blind person or what's called a foolish person or what's called an unteachable person. If you fit any of those categories, then truth is always up for debate because truth is relevant to how you want to perceive it. So, Shalom, that any of us are in that frame of mind and uh, want to point out Devarim chapter 33 and I want to let you know a little bit more about Da'at because this word actually appears in Devarim 33.2 when you read this verse. It says, I'm going to go right to the end of it. It says, Memino, which is from his right hand, Memino, like Yamin is his right hand, so from his right hand, Esh dot Lamo, from his right hand, fiery knowledge. Okay, and the word for fiery is Esh. The word for knowledge is dot. So when you look up H dot, okay, it's actually a compound of two different words. It's the compound of H and the compound of dot. And so when you look up the word for dot, this is a decree or a law. So dot is literally one little facet, one facet, I would say, of the complete H dot, the Torah. Uh, it's like looking at one law as opposed to looking at the whole constitution. Uh, for one thing, the translation and the definition of da'at is a kingly edict as first used in Ezra 8.36. So Ezra 8.36 says, They also delivered the king's edict 
to the royal satraps and to the governors of the trans-Euphrates who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. Okay, so just looking up this word here, you got this decree, you got this law. Uh, it's also called a royal statute. And so when you look at the fact of Da'at and Amet, you are looking at kind of this encapsulated uh, picture, kind of like uh, layers of an onion. So you have the whole Da'at, which would be the, the big whole unit. And then you start peeling back layers of emet. Okay, so you're working with da'at and you're revealing emet. Okay, so emet is revealed out of da'at, which is inside of bina, which is inside of chokmah, which is inside of, okay, so da'at, again, that's knowledge, which comes from your uh, bina, which is your understanding, and your chokmah, which is the wisdom. And I would not go as far as to say it's technically your wisdom because the only way we are, we have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is by the grace of Hashem, which we receive, by the way, from Pesach. This is why when you count the Omer, you're counting the other Sephirot and you're not counting Chokmah, Bina, or Da'at because those Sephirot, those Midot characteristics, those are already rectified from Hashem bringing salvation. So when Hashem delivers us from the kingdom of evil, when he takes us out of our slavery and our bondage, those top three sephirot are already taken care of. And so what's left in our, what's called our animal soul, which is our body, our makeup of our 248 organs and 365 sinews, like which makes up the fabric of our limbs which makes up the fabric of our the members of our body, our vessels, if you will, those are contained in the sephirot that we rectify during the counting of the omer, which is taking, uh, which, by the way, those seven sephirot are related to emotions, and chokmah, bina, and da'at are pertaining to our intellect. So we have intellect and emotions. So we have kind of our spiritual man and our physical man. And so we're bringing all of these into perfect alignment so that when Shabbat arrives, this 50 day process, that we are ready to receive the Torah. And so as I have been going through the insights that I will Bezrat Hashem be bringing out for this section of the Agarit Romans chapter two, verses 17 to 20, it quickly is seen that there needs to be the understanding that the Torah is a crown to the rectified physical and spiritual aspect of man. So in other words, if we're going to be Torah observant, if we're going to convert, if we're going to walk as a Yehudi, the foundation has to be being born again. It has to be being made new. It has to be where we've forsaken everything that we've conditioned ourselves in, i.e. some of us have been raised in other religions besides Judaism, besides Torah, I would say, uh, Lapid Torah, so to, for, uh, to be exact, Lapid Judaism. There we go. Not just Judaism, but Lapid Judaism. 
there's all flavors of Judaism that exist in the world, and that's, you know, that's what that is. But Lapid Judaism is what we learn from Mashiach, who is the Torah made flesh. And this is what the sages, this is what the prophets have all prophesied. The whole, they long, they yearned and they longed to see this day. Uh, Yeshua brings that up. Let's go ahead and source that out real quick. Stand by. Didn't plan to share this either. This is in Matthew Yahoo chapter 13. It's also in Luke 10:24. Uh, and also 1st Kepha 1:10. So, let me go with uh, Dr. Luke cuz that's my homeboy, homeboy. All of these people are my homeboy. But, you know, I'm going to go with this one just to keep keep everything moving. I tell you Many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see. First Kepha 1.10 Of which the salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. For I truly tell you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. Okay, so this is not anything that wasn't expected. Okay, Lapid Judaism was intended from the time Hashem gave forth the Sapphire Tablets. Actually, where did the Sapphire Tablets come from? Uh, there's an insight that I will Bezrat Hashem read from Mishlei that talks about the Torah existing 2,000 years before creation. So that's where the Sapphire Tablets came from. So when you really think about this, 2,000 years before creation, before Bereshit chapter 1, verse 1, 2,000 years before that actually happened and manifested, there was already the aspect of what would transpire with Mashiach Yeshua and his Talmudim bringing in Lapid Judaism, rectifying all of mankind from the place in which we fell from Bereshit chapter 3, which is when we ate from the tree and then we did the golden calf, which obviously that didn't happen in Bereshit chapter 3, that happened in Shemot chapter 33 and 34. And then you have um, later where, you know, we obviously we forsake Mashiach but he doesn't forsake us and so he's like yep we're not doing all of that again this is it even though you've forsaken me you're still not going to fail because I'm taking care of it so it's kind of like that um, aspect of if you've ever seen a video game where your character is like low on health bar and then all of a sudden you find a health pack and then your health goes off the charts and then you become invulnerable and you can't die. Yeah, so that's what Mashiach is. So our health bar was like down. It was just like, man, I really wish y'all would have fought hard. I really wish you would have, you know, refrained from dancing around the golden calf. I really wish you would have refrained from uh, not being courageous enough to go into the land when I told you. 
not slandering the land. I really wish you would have not brought idols into the temple. I really wish you would have not done baseless hatred, you know, just being very slanderous to one another and also making that epitomized with rejection of the Messiah. You know, I really wish you wouldn't have done all that, but that's cool. Here's a health pack. And from now on, there's no way for your health to get back down that low unless you just completely eject the game. And then you're like, I don't know what you're doing at that point. But anyway, that is where we currently are. And so you have to understand rectified man, the resurrection and the life before you can even begin to integrate in the ideas, the concepts and the teachings of Torah. Um, I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. There is a, a drop in the oral Torah about the Torah being for those who ate manna. So let's see if that can come up. All right, Makilta de Rabbi Yishmael thirteen seventeen. This is a Rabbi Shimeon drop. Um, that is me taking a moment to find this. This is a rather lengthy section of Torah here, but here we go. Baruch Hashem, Torah Okay, so I'm just going to pick up in the middle of Makilta de Rebbe or de Rabbi Yishmael 13:17. Says, "Rather, I will keep them in the desert 40 years, eating manna and drinking from the well, and the Torah will be absorbed into their bodies." Okay, so they literally become one with the Torah, which the Torah is one with the Shem, so the children of Israel who made it through the wilderness of 40 years became one with Hashem, and that's why they were able to enter into the land. But anyway, it says, continuing, from here, Rabbi Shimeon would say, the Torah was given to be expounded only by the eaters of manna, and like them, the eaters of Teruma, which are the Kohanim. In other words, the Torah is for those who are inside the clouds of glory, which are which is the body of Mashiach. It is the piercing of Mashiach, literally the cleft of the rock. It is being clothed in Messiah. It is partaking of his flesh and drinking his blood. It is feasting on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the father. If you are doing these things now we can talk Torah because it can be absorbed. But if you're chasbe shalom, not intending to get circumcised, you don't want to be circumcised, you, uh, you may have been medically circumcised as a child, but you do not want to do the hatafat dumbrit, which is just the, uh, you take, uh, there's a PDF on it, and it's all about you basically draw blood from the male organ and it's a drop of blood and you know brugashem you know welcome to the covenant kind of thing it's the way you undergo circumcision without being able to be circumcised because you're already medically circumcised and there's braca 
and you would do your mikvah as well so it's not to be separated out from the conversion process as an isolated thing but it's part of it so anyway um if you don't have any intention on doing any of that then telling someone that they're under torah or that they need to be doing torah or why are you not following torah even though you have a belief in god which, by the way, by extension, if you don't want to do any of those things, I would just need to let you know that that's not belief in God. Because belief in God would cause you to like do things that insinuate and infer and imply and that literally show, that give proof, okay, that shows forth fruit that you believe in him. Because we believe we get we will get hit by a car if we walk in the middle of the freeway, um, we don't, by default, walk in the middle of the freeway because we believe that we will get hit by some kind of automobile of some sort. So if you believe in God, your belief will match in your actions and your lifestyle your thinking, how you process, so on and so forth. Okay? So, Rebbe, or Makilta, Sleeka, man, it's a mouthful. Makilta de Rabbi Yishmael 1317. I am tabbing this right now because I do not want to forget this source. That is ridiculous. So. Thank you, Hashem, for the random source drop. Okay, so that's our Da'at and Amet. And we have our, let's go ahead. I'm going to go in chronological order now because this is how I took my notes. Okay, so back to verse 17. So Garrett, Rome, chapter 2, verse 17. Because you're called by the name Yehudi. Okay, so everyone needs to know right now when you look at the word for Yehudi, Yehudi comes from Yehuda. But the thing is, is Yehuda is Melech Yisrael. Okay, so the kingship comes from Judah. And because that is so, the king of Israel, the people who are subjugated to that king, his name is upon them. So what does that mean? That means, first of all, any king that has reigned in Israel is um, called by the name Yehuda. This is why we have the kings of Judah, okay? And the other thing is that Yehuda is where the word uh, Yehudi is derived from, okay? And when you look at Yehudi, Yehudi comes from the word yada, which means to throw or to cast. Okay, and while we're at it, the word Torah comes from yare, which means to like shoot, okay? Or it's like a teaching. So it's like a mark that needs to get hit, basically. And so when you look at being a yada to the yare, or the Yara. Let me go ahead and pull this word up too while I'm at it. Uh, first use of 
yada, by the way, so we can have the best definition, is from Bereshit 2935, which is the uh, the declaration uttered by Leah Imenu, Leah, our, our matriarch. And it says, this time I will praise Adonai. So it has to do with casting up praise to Hashem. Also means confession. So one of the things you do when you convert is you make a confession. When you say, Barukatah Adonai Eloheinu Melekaolam, that's called a profession or a confession, by the way. Yes, like Agarit Rome, chapter 10, verse 9, where it says, confess and believe with your mouth that Yeshua is Adonai. And so Baruch, which means you bend the knee, you bow, and you submit yourself and bless the Atah, which is Hashem. We call Hashem you, speaking directly to him. And then Adonai, you are my Lord, you are my King. So just by saying Barukatah Adonai, first of all, you're you're letting Hashem know that you're making a outright confession. He is your God. You basically are making a declaration of your conversion right there. This is why it's important to say Brakot before you do any of the mitzvahs. So why when you eat something, we have a prayer before that. Uh, we have a prayer after you eat. And so on and so forth. There are so many examples. So I don't even know why I tried to even get into that. But that's important. And also, um, it means, yada, back to the root of Yehudi, it means to hold out the hand. Stretching out your hand. Like to use it physically. Okay? And then it says, especially to revere or worship with extended hands, literally like Moshe raising his hands on the hill with Aaron and Hur as Yehoshua is leading Yisrael and men of valor into the battle against Amalek. So remember when he was holding up the staff? So that action, by the way, uh, and in that verse in Shemot, literally uses the word amuna, which is faith. So the word for he lifted up his hands, he held them up, is the word amuna. So his faith, he faithed his hands, which is yada, to extend or worship by lifting up your hands. So hence why a Yehudi would have a munah. And it's all with confession. It's all with casting praise. Okay, so now Torah, I uh, just want to bring this up real quick. Let's get down to the root of it. Get the root awakening on it. It's from the word Yara. So Torah, the root is Yara, which means to throw or to cast or to shoot. Okay, so it really... Sounds like it has the very same meaning with um, yada. So yada and yara have kind of the same flair to it. So it literally says in the definition that it's like an archer. It means to cast, to direct, inform, instruct, to lay or to shoot. 
Uh, it also means to flow as water, i.e. to rain. This is why it would be important to know that those of us who place our emuna in Mashiach, we stretch forth into Messiah, we get clothed in him. He says, out of you will flow, out of you will flow, out of you will yara, out of you Torah will come forth. Because remember, yara is the root of Torah. So out of you, Torah will shoot forth like an arrow. Out of you, Torah will stretch forth. Out of you, Torah will be casted forth. Torah will be lain before the world. Torah will be instructed and taught. First use of Yara is uh, Bereshit 3151. Which says, Levan said to Yaakov, here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set up. I have set up between you and me. Okay. And the word for I have set up is Yarati, which means I have placed it. Just for. Okay. And by the way. This form of yara, this is the only time it's ever used. So it literally means to set up something. So Torah is set up and Torah is established, right? Now, let's look up the word for Mark because when you look at the fact that we uh, have fallen short of the, the mark, you know, we've fallen short of God's standard. You know, we've missed the mark, which the word for sin is to miss the mark. So that is the word chet. Uh, so if you ever needed a definition for sin, it's the word chet. And for some reason I can't spell. So let's let's try this again. Chet, tet, aleph. Okay, so sin, okay, um, it is a fault, it is an offense, and the first time that one's used, Bereshit 41.9, and it's about the cup bearer. Today, okay, so it says in Bereshit 41.9, then the chief cupbearer said to Paro, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Like today, I am reminded of my sin. I am reminded of my fault, my failure. I'm reminded of what I was supposed to do. I, rem I am reminded that I have done wrong. Okay, so then... Uh, Let's go ahead and go right to 1st Yochanan. So the Agarit of Yochanan, chapter 3. Let's see here. Just sharing a whole lot of things that I did not plan on doing. Okay, so 1st Yochanan, chapter 3, and verse 4. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness as well. Sin, or indeed, sin is lawlessness. Okay? So again, if you go ahead and complete this out, 
your chet, your chata, your sin. It means to miss the mark. And your Torah, which is the, your law, it is to shoot like an arrow. Okay. And by the way, when you throw this arrow, you hit the mark because if you do deductive reasoning on this, missing the mark is sin. So hitting the mark is not sin. Okay. Just a little practical there. Uh, so when you look at being a Yada who does Yara, a Yehudi who is Torah observant, you by default remove yourself from sin or you are removed from sin. And how do you become a Yehudi? Again, you have to be one who confesses, one who comes to Hashem. So it's all from Amuna. Okay, and then where does your Amuna come from? You have to realize that you are not it. You are not king. You are not God. You are not the creator of the universe. And you, apart from God, and apart from your belief, apart from your trust, and apart from your lifestyle, you're like a dead corpse that just so happens to breathe which this is completely precedented in Torah. And this is in uh, copious amounts of Midrashim that says even the wicked in their lifetimes are considered dead. I feel like I have to source that out too. So let's go ahead and do that too. All right. So... All right, Brook Hashem, Barricode 18B. Hashem told our so much for your chesed. All right, so it says Barricode 18B. Let me tab it real quick because it's so beautiful. All right, it says, in contrast to the righteous who are referred to as living even after their death, the verse explicitly states the dead know nothing. These are the wicked who even during their lives are called dead. As the prophet Yehezekiel said in reference to the king of Israel who was alive. And you are a slain wicked prince of Israel. Yehezekiel 21.30 And if you wish, say instead that the proof is from here. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, the dead shall be put to death. Devarim 17.6 This is puzzling. As long as the accused has not been sentenced to death, he is alive. Rather, this person who is wicked is considered dead from the outset. And again, I just want to echo Rabbi Griffin who brought up in the Aliyah day um, during Parsha Bechukotai that when you look at the American justice system, the court system, that the, uh, the person who is on trial is either guilty or not guilty. There's a difference if you say guilty or innocent, because when you really look at innocent, you, you're saying that you're dismissing uh, possibilities that uh, things could have happened. And I know this gets into semantics, but you need to understand that when you say someone is not guilty, that is giving them every opportunity to be uh, exonerated of such guilt that they have been accused of. 
because technically you don't really put someone on trial unless you're suspecting them and supposing them to be guilty. Right. Because I don't know any innocent person that you just really go grab and say, yeah, you're on trial and you're you're going to jail. You're going to die. You're just going to lose all your freedom. You're going to you lose your life. OK, you just know that and believe that and trust that. It's like, do you really do that to an innocent person? Because, I mean, really, just think about it. Those of us who are free here in America, we're free because we follow the law. So why would it be any different in the spiritual world? And so to continue, uh, that was a aside, sleek eye. I just completely didn't say swerve. But yeah, so we have to be in order to remain free and move about the country. You have to follow the law. If you break the law, if you sin, you will go to jail or you will have some kind of punishment, whether it be a fee or whether it be a suspension of some sort. Some disciplinary action will be taken and you probably won't like it. But when it comes to, uh, you know, if a person is abiding by the law and they're not doing anything wrong, you don't really go grab them and take them into the court. It's usually when you think someone's guilty that you take them into the court. So anyway, uh, just to kind of support Barracote 18B with a modern example of, you know, kind of looking at this fact that this person who is wicked I mean, they're if they're truly wicked, they're they're done from the onset, you know, from the outset. Sleeka. So. All right. Now. Um, back to a <laughs> Garrett Rome. So we're talking about Yehudi. So that's everything that's involved with Yehudi. So now this next part of the verse, chapter two, verse 17 it says, and rely on the Torah. So if you're a Yehudi, you've done all the Yehudi stuff, and you rely on Torah, and you boast in Hashem. So he's building up this whole thing. So he says, if you, let's go back to the full context. So if you're called by the name Yehudi, you rely on the Torah and you boast in Hashem. You have the art of his will and approve the things that matter, being instructed from the Torah, and being confident that you are being a more Derek and or for the those in Choshek, a rabbinic moray of the foolish and Melamed, an instructor of the young, the embodiment of Da'at and truth. Then what does he say? Let's see here. Sleeka. I'm uh, all over the place. Let's go back over here. All right. So he goes on to say in verse 21, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Okay. So this is kind of really still continuing on with those who suppress truth, those who, you know, walk in their own righteousness. They worship creation as opposed to the creator, so on and so forth. So there's a whole list here, in other words, that is being taken into account. So without really getting into too much more of the weeds on that, just knowing that if you are calling yourself a Jew 
and you're just doing all these other things that make the the term or the title of Jew be convoluted from what its true authentic meaning is. Um, because just think about this. You can follow Torah. You can, okay, which means eating kosher, keeping Shabbat, doing all those things, right? But when you get to the Day of Atonement, you got things to do. You got things to pray about. You got things to think about. You got things to work out. So you can do as much as you want. But when the Day of Judgment, Day of Atonement comes around, okay, you're... Your Rosh Hashanah to your Yom Kippur, okay, all of the your all of that goes out the window. You're just like you're practically naked before Hashem, and he's just like you and me. We gotta talk. What's been going on all year? You know what's been going on today? Because the beautiful thing about understanding the reality in which we exist in and we have our very being is that. There's daily judgment, but then there's the yearly judgment because Hashem has appointed a day, you know, like the day of atonement, like that is it, you know, this is Yom Kippur. And it's like, this is when judgments are sealed. The books are open on Rosh Hashanah. And it's like, is this person wicked? Are they in the middle or are they completely, or are they walking completely in righteousness? And for those of us who are smart, we should understand that we're in the middle because be where we stand lest we fall, right? But anyway, so you got time to work these things out. We want to be written in the book of life, okay? And that is not something that we can just go, oh yeah, I'm in the book of life. I'm saved. I'm all set. One deal and done. I'm good. I did get circumcised. I told Hashem I was sorry. And it's just kind of like, okay, but how are you living and how have you been living? How are you doing with your daily teshuva? And how are you doing with your teshuva on that day? And so really, we don't have anything to rely on other than Hashem. This is why the whole Torah is summed up in the Shema. If you understand the Shema, which is, Hear, O Yisrael, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, with all your resources. And then you add to that, you shall love your neighbors, you love yourself. Quick little drop on that uh, I found in Lakute uh, Sikot says, Bami Bar 1 2. It says, Take a census of all the congregations of the Israelite, or take a census of all the congregation of the Israelites by family. And the commentary goes into saying the strife and breakdown of communication from which the world suffers stem from selfishness. In contrast to the Torah command in contrast, the Torah commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The primary setting in which this commandment is fulfilled is that of our families. And as much as loving our fellow Jew is an expression of our love of God. Loving our fellow Jew enhances our love of God. Love of God, in turn, brings us to love his Torah and study it, not merely out of our obligation to do so. 
but out of love. This threefold love of our fellow Jew and of God and of the Torah ripples outward from the family setting and affects the entire world for the better. Lakute Sikot, volume 8, page 209 through 215. And again, I quoted the Shema in the second greatest commandment, uh, which is like the first. So yes, it's all called the Shema. It's uh, Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. All right. So relying on Torah, boasting in Hashem, and being called a Yehudi. Uh, there are some uh, interesting little cross-references that are brought up in the Orthodox Jewish Bible, which says, see the uh, passage from chapter 3, verse 20, and chapter 4, verse 2, for the Agarit to the Romans. So I'll read those real quick. It says, for by depending on the works of law shall kolchai lo yitzdak. So shall, shall all living not be justified. For through the law comes da'at hachet. So the knowledge of sin. Okay, so this da'at again, which is bringing forth truth, Truth is going to help you identify what sin is. And so it's not going to be a justification agent when it comes to you keeping the, the Torah, you know, and identifying what sin is. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're OK in the USA, so to speak. And I want to bring up a context. And this is kind of, you know, as I'm even saying this, I, I feel like this is kind of where the proverbial train runs off the tracks when it comes to saying, well, do I do Torah? Do I not do Torah? I'm not really sure what's going on here because at one point you're saying like missing the mark and all this kind of stuff. Now you're saying even if I hit the mark, it's still like not even really helpful. So it's like if I hit the mark, great. If I don't hit the mark, then not really great, you know? And so there's kind of this seemingly um, two-sided thing going on. So I want to bring up uh, this all the living not be justified passage. It actually comes from Tehillim 143, which says Tehillim 143 and verse 2. It says this, do not enter into judgment with your servant for no living being, which is Kolchai. Living being is Kolchai, all the living. So for no living being would be vindicated before you. And why? Go back to verse one. A Psalm of David. O God, hear my prayer. Lend your ear to my supplications with your faithfulness and with your sleeka, with your um, faithfulness and with your righteousness. Answer me. See, because. Really, if Hashem doesn't extend any mercy to us, if he doesn't extend any faithfulness to us, if he doesn't even hear our prayers, then, you know, that ain't good. Because at this point, if judgment is entered into, like, you know, what Balaam tried to do to the children of Israel, 
because Balaam was like, I know the times, I know the seasons. So let me find the moment when Hashem is going to be angry with his people and then I can curse them because King Balak wants me to do so. So I want to do that. I want to curse them too, but I'll just blame it on King Balak and I, I could use a little pocket change. So yes, that is Parsha Balak party or Sleeka. It's not Balak party. It's Parsha Balak, but it is Balak having a party or that is really failing. So it's a Balak not party because his party's getting rained on real hard, literally because Hashem reigns like Hashem is sovereign. But anyway, when this happens, we need to understand that when it comes to judgment, if we don't have Hashem's mercy, if we don't have his faithfulness, then we're done. So this is why we can't boast or brag in works of Torah, okay? Which is works of the, the keeping the mitzvot, the commandments, okay? Any of the righteous acts of kindness that we do. Put this context down right here. This is from the Midrash Tehillim, page 291a, going into 291b. It says, the words for hear and lend your ear suggest distance and closeness, respectively. One hears from afar, one lends an ear to someone close by. The Jew in exile therefore says, before I pray, I am distant from you. So I ask you to hear my prayer. As one who hears from a distance, once I have prayed, I am no longer distant. At that point, I ask that you lend your ear to my supplications. That's from the Al-Sheik. Al-Sheik also says, alternatively, in the merit of our Amuna in you, like in Hashem, answer us with your righteousness. So when we place our Amuna in Hashem, he gives us righteousness. Bezrat Hashem, he does. So where does our righteousness come from? It comes by the grace of Hashem after we place our Amuna in him. Okay? And so when we talk about deriving righteousness from Torah, okay, that means there has to be a prerequisite. Right? Us placing our Amuna in Hashem. So then it says, answer us, with your righteousness, though we have no other merit. All chic. Okay, so again, when you really look at this, no matter what we do, we can't ever say, Hashem, I got merit right here. Let me do this. You know, this is why it was so cool to uh, glean from Parashavaira about Abraham before Hashem when Hashem uh, was talking to him and he took him outside the tent and said, hey, I know you're not supposed to have a son, but you're going to. Because Abraham was so distraught at that point because he just rescued Lot and he used, quote unquote, a lot of merit in that battle. And he was just like, man, I don't have any more merit. So Hashem, if you, even if you give me up to half your kingdom, it's not going to make a lick of difference because I don't have anybody to perpetuate the legacy to extend your glory out into the world out into the nations that you said would be blessed by me and Hashem was like son you haven't used up any merit all the merit you've used has been mine which means it ain't going nowhere you can keep using my merit and it's like using a match to light from a flame the fire is not going to be diminished but you can continue to light matches and so this is kind of what we're tapping into when we place our moon in Hashem. 
So because we're on it, uh, page 291b says this. This verse alludes to the three daily prayers, which is hear my prayer. This is during Shakarit, the morning prayer. Lend your ear to my supplications. This is during Minka, the afternoon prayer. And it says, with your faithfulness, answer me. This is during Ma'ariv, the evening prayer. And then lastly, with your righteousness, answer me. And this is in the merits of the acts of charity, which are called Zadaka, which can also be translated as righteousness, that I perform before each of the three prayers. That's from the Chazezion. And looking at the footnote, it says, alternatively, with your charitableness, answer me, and the merit of my having done an act of charity, that God responds to us in prayer is an act of pure kindness and charity on his part. And we can invoke that charity through an act of charity of our own. See Agerit HaKodesh, chapter 8, or section 8. Regarding the custom to give charity before praying, see above on 1715. So, in other words, Hashem being a shade at your right hand, Hashem being Mita Kenegat Mita, measure for measure. If we're going to give charity to Him, He gives charity to us. If we're really seeking Hashem and we really desire to be meritorious before His presence, then uh, that's how that all goes down. So, uh, anyway, so that's something that we should understand about what are we depending on? We should be depending on Hashem. And when you depend on Hashem, the extension of that is the Torah. But if you depend on Torah and you don't keep that connected to you depending on Hashem, then you've created what's called a high impedance air gap or a failure to communicate. So you don't want that. So, again, this is another level of understanding why would Shaul be like, yeah, you need to do Torah. You need to establish your righteousness. Uh, you want to be set right with Hashem? Yeah. Now, if you do all these works of law and you boast in them, then no, man, I don't know what you're doing. Like, you can't be doing that. You can't, you can't boast in your works. None can boast. And then he'll go into the whole tangent, I boast in the cross and all that kind of stuff, all those teachings. And it's just kind of like, whoa time out everybody stop the car get back on the right side of the road remember that thing called the shema where hashem is like a chad and all that yeah so you're you're boasting it it doesn't exist when you understand that at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day you're clothed in shema yisrael you are attaching yourself to Hashem. You're placing your own moon in Him and you're asking Him and for His mercy, for His righteousness, for His grace to be extended upon you. And then Hashem is like, oh, you need me? Well, let me put you a little righteousness out there and I want you to come, come walk with me in the cool of the day. And then that's where you're walking in Torah. That's where you're experiencing the beauty and the joy of Lapid Judaism. That's where you're literally clothed in Messiah, partaking of his flesh and drinking his blood. All right. So uh, that was a Garrett Rome 320. Now let's do a Garrett Rome 42, where it says, For if Abraham Avinu was accounted to be Yitzhak Hashem, 
righteous, set right with Hashem, and acquitted before Hashem on the basis of Mazim of Gizetz, Mazim of Slika, uh, Mazim of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before Hashem. So again, this is kind of like you're going all throughout your year and you're doing everything. And then it's like, well, it's Rosh Hashanah and it's Yom Kippur now. I am standing before Hashem. How dare I bring up the fact that I have done tefillin every day, but Shabbat and Yom Tov. Or how dare I tell Hashem that I haven't eaten any ritually impure, unclean thing and I have not eaten any unkosher thing. Which, by the way, did you know part of the Yom Kippur prayers talk about, you know, any food that you've eaten that is not kosher? So it's just kind of like going through the whole list of I have sinned, I have sinned, I have sinned, I have sinned. Like you're confessing all sorts of stuff and you're like, I didn't even know I did that and I haven't even done that. Who would do that? And it's just like, nope, but you're saying it because this whole kolachad and, you know, you never know. Who's done any of these sins that we're confessing and that we're beating our chest over, but yet we're doing this as a community. And I believe Yaakov says, confess your sins to one another. So, yeah, so that's kind of where that happens, where we are confessing our sins to one another because we're all saying we've done this sin because guess what? We are our brother's keeper and our neighbor is just like ourself. Went over that back in uh, Sefer Vayikra. I believe that was either Parsha Amor or, uh, no, actually it was Parsha Kadoshim, uh, where we were talking about love your neighbor as you love yourself because your neighbor is yourself. But anyway, I digress. So there is no boasting. There is nothing that we can do and be like, Hashem, see, we're all right, right? And he'd be like, do you, do you trust me? Are you, are you with me? You know, are you against me? Okay, and then verse 18, back to chapter 2 of Agarit Rome. So the letter to the Romans, it says, <clears throat> And have da'at of his will and approve the things that matter, being instructed from the Torah. See, what I love about this is this gives us the governing agent. How do we determine if something is approved? How do we determine if something is the will of Hashem? How do we determine if this quote-unquote thing matters? It's from the instructions of Torah, which is the words that proceed out of the mouth of Hashem. So when you really look at what we're talking about here, so you have to have the da'at, you have to put your knowledge and your wisdom together and bring forth this knowledge of his will and then you can have a great system of approval and understanding of what matters from the torah so we see this first of all later on in the same letter in chapter 12 verse 2 where it says stop allowing yourself to be conformed to the olam haze which the olam haze is this world everything before the olam haba basically it says, but be transformed by the heat cut shoot, which is the renewal moment by moment. Could you imagine spending every moment of your life as if you've never experienced it before? You know, 
okay, so obviously that's an actual fact. You've never been in this moment. Okay, now this moment. This, okay, right, right, okay. Even as we're talking now, new moments are happening. And so anytime you do something in these new moments, you've never done it before. Because you haven't done your, let's, let's give an example. So if you are to prepare for a later prayer time coming up, like say it's it's the middle of the afternoon and at some point you will be doing Minka Bezrat Hashem. When you get to do Minka at that point in time that it occurs, you've never done Minka before at that time. So when you do this Minka time, when you do that Minka time, it will be a brand new Minka for you. This is the element or the essence of Hichachut, is experiencing everything anew. So it's like renewal after renewal after renewal after renewal. So you can't ever say, okay, here I go again doing this prayer or here I go again reading this verse. It's like, have you read that verse at this moment in time? No. And this is why you can always be beautifully surprised that you can read the same verse a whole bunch of times. And all of a sudden, there's new information. There's new illumination that is always available. Y'all, it's always available. He cut you. You got to have it. So anyway, you got your heat cut shoot of your mind so that you may ascertain or ascertain what is the Ratzon of Hashem, the will of God? What is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? So, again, in our chapter 2, verse 18, it says, You will have the da'at of His will and approve the things that matter. Okay? So, that can only come if you're not conformed to the, this world. If you are in Hikachut, which is renewal, regeneration of your mind and then you can be able to grab a hold of this so i want to bring to the table aki.yitzak 31 1 says in order to qualify for continued guidance by divine providence we were given the torah which personifies the revealed will of the creator which alone enables us to live our lives in harmony. Okay. And then uh, it goes on there. But that's just a little snippet. I want you to see that the Torah personifies the revealed will of the creator. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. Which I want to connect that to Shonaf Pincus, which is Shavile Pincus. On Parsha Behukotai 50. 779 so from this year uh page two of his commentary and it says vayikra rabah 35 3 hakadosh baruku himself so to speak observes all the mitzvot of the torah this is in stark contrast to human kings they are capricious they may or may not comply with their own edicts. They're on Torah. Because remember, edict. And we talked about that uh, with our Yara and all of that. So anyway. Um, yeah. So uh, it says, so they may or may not comply with their own edict. And it says, or Slika, Da'at. So they may not 
comply with their own da'at, which comes from the Yara, which is the Torah, okay? Anyway, uh, just trying to connect all the dots we've connected thus far. So, remember the edict is the decree, the law, okay, which is a da'at, which the Torah is called da'at, okay? So, that's why an edict could be a Torah of the king. Anyway, they may or may not comply with their own Torah. If not, other others comply with them on their behalf. Okay, so a human king will be like, well, I know I made this law and I know this is really a decree and an edict that, you know, you need to abide by, but I'm not going to. But this guy over here is going to do it for me. It's just kind of like, so I'm out. I, I, I thought it was a good idea, but I'm not going to do it. So the Rabbah goes on to say, not so Hakadosh Baruku. In other words, Hashem don't go like that. He don't roll like that. He observes his own decrees, his own Torah, before requiring others to do so. So when the Pasuk says, if you will follow my decrees and observe my mitzvot, it implies that we are to observe the decrees and the mitzvot that HaKadosh Baruch Hu observes himself. Which pun intended because these decrees and these laws, the Torah is Hashem himself. It is literally his reflection. Like if you've seen the Torah, you've seen Hashem. If you've seen Mashiach, you've seen the Torah. If you've seen Mashiach, you've seen Hashem. Okay, so this is where all of that comes into play. To which now I bring up Lakute Torah to continue to flesh this out. Lakute Torah Parsha Bamibar is all about breaking down why in the world before every Shavuot we always read Parsha Bami Bar. And that is the prerequisite because if you can't make yourself like a desert, if you can't get over yourself, then you cannot receive the Torah. So if you have not been counting your Omer, if you don't intend to, if you don't really want to uh, do preparation for receiving the Kedusha that will be available during Shavuot, then guess what? You ain't going to get it. It's going to be dead for you. You're not going to you're not going to experience anything. But if you've been preparing, Shem's like, oh, you ready for this? You really? You you come out to the desert. You've left your quote unquote civilization for me. And Lakute Torah goes on uh, and to, well, to finish that statement. Hashem says all that to you. He's like, oh, well, then we're going to get married today. I'm going to I'm going to put up the hoopah. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to clothe you anew. I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. That's what's going to happen. So Lakute Torah gives that introduction, basically, and then goes into being engaged to Hashem, getting the ring for the betrothal and then entering into the Kiddushin, which is the marriage when you finally become one. And so obviously when it comes to that, um, the actual bond and the unity that the couple has after marriage is called Nesuin, by the way. And it says, this is accomplished when a Jew dedicates every fiber of his being, his thought, his speech, and his actions towards Hashem. And what's so cool is we've entered into the final seven days of counting the Omer. And wouldn't you know it that as we are counting 
um, Gevura Sheb Malkut, which is day 44 of the Omer, it says that there is a suit we wear that has a life of its own. It is knitted of the fabric of words, images, and sounds, mischievous characters that no one else can see or would care to know. You, however, hear them day and night, chattering, buzzing, playing their games in the courtyard of your mind. They are all threads of the garment of thought that envelops you. So it goes on to say that you grab the reins, you master them, direct them, flex your mind. They will follow, provide them with a script and they will play along, do something quick because you, after all, are dressed up within them. So there is a, oh my goodness, I don't even remember what this movie was, but there was a movie, I believe Robin Williams was in it and there was a suit that the character had and it the suit was like a suit of its it like moved around and did its own thing and uh the guy like when he went and like he the suit would go and do its thing and then he could put on the suit and make him do all kinds of stuff so that's a man i'm so sad i can't remember that movie because may the memory of robert williams be blessed but um yeah so whatever this movie was the suit it moved around it was like its own thing so we have to know this is how our thoughts are, right? That they can do their own thing. But the thing is, is that we are to take a hold of them. That's what the Gavur is. It's the governing. Okay, it's the judgment. Like, listen here, thoughts, speech, words, actions, uh, imaginations. This is how we're going to roll. And they go, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Or sir. Yes, sir. Right. And they're like, not nah, saving each What we got? It's like, well, I want to introduce you to. Amuna Be Hashem. I want to introduce you to Torah. I want to introduce you to Yeshua. I want to introduce you to the Ruach Kodesh. And it's just like, those are all the same. And it's just like, I know, but I just want to let you know that whether we're following the Spirit or whether we're following the Torah, whether we're following Hashem, I just want you to know it's all Shema Yisrael. So don't get it twisted. And they're like, okay. That's cool, because I don't like being in knots anyway. You shouldn't tie me in knots. I'm a piece of clothing here. So all of that goes on. And so our thoughts and everything have to be a right and alignment in, in order for us to understand how we're married to Hashem at Shavuot and the whole wedding scenario and the being in Nisuin and, um, you know, being a Kala because a Kala and a Katan, a Kala is the bride and a Katan is the bridegroom. The bride has to be a person of Kelot or Klotz Hanefesh, which is expiry of the soul, which is basically from my soul yearns. And it's the characteristic of the wife that says to your husband will be your desire. So this is the soul of every Yehudi. And over here in the rest of the Kute Torah, it goes into saying Mishle chapter eight, verse 30 is and I will be for him a parent. And there is more to the to rest of this phrase, but it says in this verse is hidden the is hidden the power of the Torah and its unique capabilities and influence. Knowing the greatness of the Torah is not a matter to be taken lightly. And so 
when you really look at what is going on here, it continues to go on and say that the Torah is beyond just being the will of Hashem. It's actually the pleasure of Hashem. And pleasure is called Ta'anug, by the way. So it says, the essential greatness of the Torah and mitzvot is not that they are the will of Hashem, but they each, but that they each contain an immense individual pleasure for Hashem. And the words of Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Slika, the Torah and the mitzvot are the level of Ta'anug or Atik Keter, which is a higher internal level of Keter, which is the crown. Remember how I was telling you, you got your your knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Those are your three aspects that are rectified at Pesach when you're delivered, when you're quote unquote saved, redeemed. And then you have your counting of the Omer. You're working on the other seven sefirot. Then Keter, which is the 11th technical sefirot, is above all those like a crown. And this is where the Torah is. So the Torah becomes a crown to the rectified man. So bringing this all in together. So this is each mitzvah contains a different intent and purpose. And hence, there is a difference in the effect of each mitzvah and the divine chain of worlds and truth. The reason for this differentiation is due to the root of the mitzvot and God's essential pleasure. The pleasure of Hashem is different for each mitzvah with each mitzvah holding a different divine pleasure for God. And it continues and it continues and it continues, but that's all to say that there are so, like, the will of Hashem, that's not even, that's just the beginning. And so, fulfilling the will of Hashem through doing Torah, having that da'at to approve the things that matter, being instructed by the Torah, it's just kind of like, okay, there's way more to that. Just want to point that out. Uh, last two verses for this podcast. You know, I, I really intended to go to verse 24, but as you can see, barely making it through these three verses. So verse 19, uh, it's talking about, or Slika, let's just read it. And being confident that you are more a Derek, a guide Okay, again, Moray Derek is a teacher of the way, the teacher of the path of the Evrim. Okay, which Evrim is not to be confused with Evri, because Evri is the word for Hebrew. And in order to make the word blind, you add in a Vav. Okay, so if you put the aspect of man, so to speak, into a Jew. And when I say the aspect of man, I mean like the body of man. When you put that into, because you know the Vav represents that, then it becomes an an ovary, which uh, we actually say that in our uh, morning bracha. Bless you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who gives sight to the blind. And the thing is, is that man, that Vav, is the Mashiach. So he's actually the one who's able to heal, heal the blindness. And I was looking at a commentary. I believe it was, I mean, I don't know where it was, but somewhere I saw Shem heals the blind. And I was like, okay, well, it's, I know it's, oh, 
Sinisidur. That's where I read it. Been uh, going through so many sources that I've like almost just gone crazy. But literally on the uh, Pokiaki Vreen, it gets into, that's actually a Tehillim. Uh, so when you look at that, it's from Tehillim 146.8. And then, um, yeah, so I went to Tehillim 146.8. That's where I saw it. So that's my Sidur getting me into Tehillim. And 146.8 has a little drop on... The Midrash Tehillim, page 298b. It says, Adonai Pokiach Ivrim. Okay, because remember, you put the aspect of man in there, but if it's not a divine Vav, like the Mashiach, who's in the likeness of man. So if you empty the, the likeness of man and you just go with no, no, no divinity. In other words, don't have Mashiach and just have a man. You're blind. But if you have Mashiach in the likeness of man, which is the supernal vav, the highest form of the vav, which is the Hebrew letter, the sixth letter, then we're talking one who can bring healing to that which is blind. So continuing on this comment here, it says, God opens the eyes of the blind. Adonai Pokiaki Vrim. And it says that uh, God will heal those who are physically blind. So I can't think of a time where Yeshua like healed the blind. So, I mean, I guess we won't talk about that. Chasve Shalom. Of course he did that. Like all the time almost. See what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, the alternatively, the psalmist refers to those who are psychologically blinded by the darkness of distress. This is why we have to understand the Torah is also light. Yeshua is light. The menorah is light. And we've been called light. And as a more Derek, you are to be an or to those who are in Koshek. A light to those who are in darkness. Psychological illumination, if you will. Okay? It says, God will open their eyes by introducing them to the light of redemption. God will do this for the Jewish people who during their exile are described as blind. See Yeshiyahu 59.10 and Radak and see Midrash Tehillim. Alternatively, God removes obstacles from the path of the blind. So the thing is, as you know, in the Agarit to the Romans, <sighs> Man, you don't source out Paul by using Paul, but man, when you really know everything is connected to Torah, I mean, it makes way much more sense. But remember, the Jews are referred to as blind because they're in the exile, right? So in chapter 11 of the same Agarit, verse 25, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening and throwing stuff. Let's pick this back up. Okay. Uh, they've experienced a hardening uh, in part until the full number of the Goyim have come in. In other words, they were for uh, partially hardening. Uh, some translations say blindness, 
So let's go ahead and pull that up. Normally I would do the Prashida text, but Bezrat Hashem, that is coming uh, when I get here. But until then, uh, looking up some words here. Uh, the words being used is a covering with a callus, which is figurative of blindness. And this word is also saying obtuseness of mental discernment. In other words, psychological clouding, like what we just read in the Tehillim over here. And uh, it's also in the Gospels of Mark 3, 5, where it says grieved at the hardness of their heart. Uh, it's also describes as stupidity or callousness, sensible or insensible and dull, uh, dead. Uh, should I go on? No, I should not. But uh, that's important to know because that all has to do with blindness. And the only way that can be healed is Hashem. But Hashem is saying, I'm not going to heal it until all the proselytes come in. And I don't know if you've been checking trends lately, but we have a lot of proselytes coming in. So probably getting close. And while I'm at it, I think it's important to mention there's not just 144,000. There are way more than that. Because sometimes other religions kind of get mixed in and thrown at us. It's like, you're Jewish, right? Okay, yeah. Okay, so what about, what's up with the 144,000? It's like, do you even know about that? Because if you do, please tell me. It's like, yeah, that's in Revelation. I know Revelation is a Jewish book, but it's not a part of the Tanakh. It's part of the church writings, but, you know, we know about it. Because obviously, if I'm a Jew that believes in Yeshua, then obviously I got to follow the New Testament, right? And I'm like, that's a long story. But, uh, you know, yes, for lack of time and being able to explain, but not that doesn't mean what you think it means. So moving on. Anyway, uh, the blindness has to do with Yisrael being in exile and the blindness gets healed by Hashem because Hashem is going to bring us out of exile. So that's important to know. All right. And then um, I have a drop here from Bereshit Rabbah about the or, because if you're going to be an or for those in Choshek, what does that mean? How, how are you going to be a light to those who are in the dark? Bereshit Rabbah 3, 5 through 6 says, he called... Which is, uh, this is going back to the creation account where Shem said, you know, let there be light. And then uh, there was evening and there was morning. And then there was Yom Echad, right? So it says he called, which is full of many laws. Uh, and God separated the light from the darkness corresponds to the book in a desert, which is Bamibar. So, and God separated the light from the darkness. It's like, God, uh, that was something else. So let me pick up. This is where it picks up. So in Bereshiva 3, 5, pick up from this statement. And God separated the light from the darkness corresponds to the book Bamibar, which is in a desert. Where if, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into that either. There's way too much, so much information. 
Okay. Which makes a distinction between those who left Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, and those who came into the land, Eretz Israel. God called the light day. Is it not day when there is light? This is surprising. Well, it is taught the light that was created in the six days of creation, because, you know, light came before the sun, the moon and the stars. So talking about that light, the Etaor, literally the Torah, because Etaor is 613, which is the Torah. Okay, but anyway, um, so we got the fact that I'm just kind of thrown off. Okay, <laughs> Etaor 613, just uh, Torah, or yeah, or and Torah. Okay, so 207401. Let me just double check that real quick. My my mind is just very very frazzled by what I just said. <laughs> the light that was created. During the first week of creation, at Ta'or, this is this is the light of Torah, which means when Torah came into creation, it was created. Like when Yeshua was brought into creation, he was created. This is why he was born of a virgin. Okay, um, this is too much. Okay, so 401, which is the gematria of Et plus or which is the gematria of two two okay come on now two wow two oh seven is six oh eight okay so et or is six oh eight et ha or which is when you add a hey which is five so six oh eight plus five is six thirteen 6 plus 1 plus 3 is 10. And so when Hashem gave the Torah and Parashah Yitro, it was the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments include the 613 because they are at Ha'or, which is the Torah, which is Mashiach. In order for it to be brought forth in creation, it was quote unquote created. So anyway, uh, back on track here, it says the light that was created in the six days of creation cannot illuminate during the day because it dims the sun. Yeah. The light can't shine during the day because it dims the sun. It makes the light of the sun seem dark compared to how bright it is. Okay. So this is why the transfiguration is like something that we should probably kind of rethink because with him being that bright, I mean, that's brighter than the light of the sun. It's hard to look at the sun. I imagine it was really hard to look at, you know, Yeshua, Eliyahu and Moshe on this mountain of transfiguration. So anyway, says the light it dims the sun and at night it cannot since it was only created to illuminate during the day so it doesn't shine at night because it was meant to shine during the day so at a point in time where there is no longer any night then that's when this is shining this brings a whole new understanding to why Yeshua said let us work while it is still today you know because the light's only going to shine and illuminate during the day and uh, so anyway, um, man, I don't even know what to do with myself right now. Okay, 
trying to trying to hold it together okay at night it cannot since it was only created to illuminate during the day and where is it it is hidden and is prepared for the righteous for the future as it says and the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun and the light of the sun will be seven times like the light of the seven days yeshiyahu 30 26 this is surprising so Hasbe Shalom that we don't have Torah during the exile, but compared to what we do not get to partake of, it it seems like we don't. But that doesn't mean that we don't follow what we can. We can still eat kosher, we can still dive in, we can still observe the Shabbat, you know, the Yom Tov. There are so many mitzvot that we still can do. But yeah, we're in exile. So that's why we want to get out of exile. So we can be daytime and we can have the fullness of the light. This is why. So the whole thing about joy comes in the morning, you know, and understanding how the redemption is like sunrise and all of that. You put all those things together and this is what we got. So that's the whole thing about being a light to those who are in darkness. So you're illuminating uh, where there is current uh, not understanding where there is blindness Okay, you're bringing in um, clarity. Okay, it's interesting that we live in a time where the generation is not really sure what truth is. And um, it's being an overhaul on preference and tolerance. It's just like, just let people do what they do. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a judge. And it's like, no one said you had to be a judge. No one said you have to give people carte blanche license to do everything what they want to do. We know that God created us male and female. I mean, how did you get here? How were you born? You were born because a male and a female came together and they conceived and then the female gave birth. So if there are chaspe shalom, any other genders outside of that, then how in the world do you plan to have more children or is the goal not to have more children? Cause that kind of sounds like what that's involving. Secondly, how do you not know, you know, that marriage is not between a man and a woman? Like that's how it's been. It's not just a fact of tradition, but it's a fact of, of life. You know, you try to put any other things together you're going to go against literally nature because even nature understands there's a male and then there's a female and they get together and they're connected to one another. That's called marriage. So we live in a day and age where even things like this are questioned and um, not completely grabbed a hold of or understood or whatever. And so light it up, you know, and it's like, the only reason these things exist is because the Torah is being snuffed out. It's like, no Torah, we don't need it. We don't need God. We don't want to believe in God. We got this. We're trading the creator for creation. It's like, you do that, you mess up the whole machine. Think about it this way. Putting gasoline in your oil um, holder, like where you're supposed to put motor oil in your car. If you put gasoline in there, it's not going to work. If you put oil in your gasoline tank, it's not going to work. Okay, if you put uh, lighter fluid where windshield wipers should go, which I don't know why you're doing that, but I mean, this is what we're doing. This is the level of insanity that we are 
headed towards unless we repent, bring the Geula, say Baruch HaBab Adonai, and mean it and shine light to those who are in darkness. But anyway, lighter fluid in your windshield wipers, what is that? Like, why in the world? Is that even a good cleaning agent? Side note, don't smoke next to a car if they're trying to wash their windows, right? With lighter fluid, that's just not good. But anyway, um, it's just, it's crazy world. So, the last verse. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me. Uh, I cannot believe how much information is contained in these few verses. This is 17 through 20. Like 17, 18, 19, 20. Like four verses. Are we are we serious? Okay, anyway. A rabbinic moray, a teacher, which by the way, we gotta get into the moray. Moray again comes from Yara, which is the word remember to flow like water. Well, guess what? Moray also means rain. As seen in Tehillim 84.7, hold that thought, we'll get there. And Yoel 2.23, the moray of the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So, moray is rain, but it also means teacher. And the teacher is flowing like rain. And the cool thing is, Moshe himself even says, you know, let my teaching drop like dew. And uh, let's see, where is this at? This is Devarim chapter 30. Uh, let's see, 33, maybe? No, 32. Let's let's see here. Parsha Hazinu. Uh, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak and hear heavens and earth, the words of my mouth. Uh, drop as the rain came atar, which is like rain. And he's using the word matar there. So it's not more. So this rain is a different, uh, let's go ahead and go there real quick. More. When the moon hits your eye, like a big piece of pie, it's a more. Okay. Um, how do I know that song? You, there's a long story. Okay. Early rain. It's from the word Yara, which is the root of Torah. And this word, believe it or not, is only used three times. So this is just insane. I don't really know what to do with this. But Moray also has to do with the hill of teaching that is near the plain of Jezreel. And it is also the terebinth, a holy tree from which divine teaching is given. And the heel of the teacher, the seat of a holy place whence divine teaching was given. Okay. So you can see this. And uh, Judges, which is Shoftim, chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubabal, uh, Jerubabal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. 
okay so when we look at this moray drop we got rain and we got teacher and we're talking about a rabbinic moray a teacher of the water which torah is like into water and then it says you're going to teach the foolish you're going to be an instructor to the young and you're going to have the embodiment of the da'at and the emet okay so when you again thinking about rivers of living water flowing from us thinking about being the light as a city upon a hill not hiding it under a bushel setting it on the table giving light to everyone in the room you are to take um people to another place you know you should be just completely blowing it up like in a good way lighten enlightening people to the fullest so this is what we have uh being a yehudi and relying on a shem uh so getting to our tehillim drop and we're getting close we'll end in mishle chapter five so if you want to pull up your mishle commentary coming up all right so again i'm in the midrash tehillim and i will be on page 165a because it says for those who pass through the valley of baca he will place well springs their guide will be cloaked in blessings okay so commentary says the valley of baca a type of tree was arid and this is from the radak it says and filled with thorns so the type of tree that's arid and filled with thorns okay so this is another look at you know the crucifixion stake now that it's an arid tree of thorns because it was made desolate by the death that was upon it the sin the accusations the torture the punishments you know was meted out on this tree of thorns so yeah so there's your baka and uh baka is bet kaf olive so you have 22 23 is the of that and you can rearrange this word to ke'av, which is like the father. So this tree of thorns like the father. Okay, because the, mid, uh, the Messiah text brings down the conversation between Hashem and Mashiach before Mashiach agreeing to suffer for the sins of all mankind. And Mashiach says, it's enough for me to be like my master to speaking to Hashem because Hashem says, you know, whenever my temples were destroyed, which there were two of them, that uh, it was pretty much like him being crucified. So when Mashiach is crucified, he's matching the same suffering that Hashem himself has gone through when he had to destroy the temples. So anyway, Ke'av, there's that. It says, for those pilgrims, for those who are making Aliyah to Yerushalayim for the three festivals, which is Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, you're called a pilgrim because you're headed up to Yerushalayim. And it says, for those pilgrims to Yerushalayim who will pass through this valley, God will provide well springs of water to drink. 
They will therefore bless their guide, their more, who has led them on a path with water. This is from the Mezzudo. So in a place where there are no springs of water, the more is going to provide the water. This is why the rock is the more that followed us in the wilderness. The rock was Messiah. Again, Shaul writes about this in the Agarit Corinth, chapter 10. And so he says the rock was Messiah. The rock is the wellspring that gave forth water. And by the way, this is how we should be as we lead people. We should be able to refresh them, water them. This is a constant prayer uh, of us who are a part of Lapid, that we are um, to faithfully work the harvest and that Hashem will supply more workers and that, you know, we will be built up as living stones into a spiritual temple. And uh, the reason why we should be living stones is because that represents our souls that can bring forth water. Because when Moshe was striking the rock to bring forth water, all the other rocks burst forth with water. So when the main rock was struck, all the other rocks were, quote unquote, struck as well by extension. Through the fact of when the rock was struck, they brought forth water and the other rocks, even though they weren't struck, but the main rock was struck, they still brought forth water. So there's a midrash on that. That's Parsha Hukat. Uh, so that is not in the scope of this drosh, but it's in here. So, Brukashem. Continuing commentary, it says, Rashi, drawing from the Talmud, interprets the verse as follows. Those who transgress God's will descend to the Valley of Tears, to the depths of Gehenna, which, by the way, is hell. So, yes, Jews believe in hell. And it says, so copious are their tears that they form a wellspring. See Erevine 19a. So obviously there's a juxtaposition here. There's either you're righteous, you're walking up to Yerushalayim, you're making shuva, and you're running away from your sin, and you have your teacher with you that's going to give you water, or you're so sullied in sin and you're so heartbroken about it that your tears literally become the mikvah and they become the fountain of refreshment that you need. So maximizing your teshuva is something that we should definitely keep in mind if we feel like we're too far gone. Because continuing on with commentary, this is what it says. The explanations of Rashi and Mezudo, which are seemingly at odds, alludes to two types of returning to God. Rashi explains the verse is referring to the tears of the sinner. These tears are born of anguish that the sinner feels because of his distance from God. The sinner recognizes that his actions have brought him to the valley, to the depths of corruption, and this thought inspires bitter remorse. His tears reflect a genuine effort to return to a godly life. This is the sort of teshuva that we generally experience during exile. But, there is a higher level of teshuva alluded by the Mizuto, one that will be experienced fully in the Messianic era. The need for teshuva is not limited to one who has sinned. The embodiment or the embodied soul is distant from God. It is engaged in a constant struggle to transcend the limitations of the body and return to the perfect union with God that it enjoyed prior to its embodiment. 
This union will be achieved in the Messianic era when the godly reality will pervade our corporeal plane. The ascent to Yerushalayim, of which the verse speaks, as explained by Mizzuto, presages the eventual ascent of all Jews when the Mashiach arrives. We will then experience the higher level of teshuva, not one of bitter tears. The tears we will shed then will be tears of joy, rejoicing over our complete union and return to God. That's from the Rebbe. From Sefer Hama Amarim 5746 page 18 and 19 all right so let's finish out our time because we're talking about being a moray derek and a rabbinic moray at that and um that it's all about having the embodiment of the torah knowledge and the truth and whether it's to those who desire to be foolish or whether it's to those who are young, we're bringing it. We're giving the opportunity to everyone but being no respecter of persons. So in Mishle 5.13, coming from the commentary here, it says, I have not listened to the voice of my masters and I have not Slika, it says, I have not inclined my ear to my teachers. It says, unlike verse 12, which refers to the content of the spurned reproof, our verse speaks of the voice that the sinner ignored, which implies the sound rather than the content. <laughs> Okay, so the voice is all about the sound rather than the content. The traditional chant of Torah study can have an inspirational effect on people who are willing to listen. Foolishly, the sinner failed to realize that Kol Yaakov, the voice of Yaakov, which is Bereshit 26.23, with the melody of Torah study, so the voice of Yaakov, the sound of the content, and then the melody of the Torah study, which is the content, has the power to arouse and elevate the soul. That's from the Hevel Nachala. So, what are we saying? What are we talking about? Hearing the voice of Hashem. Walking with the Shem. And as we're looking at being called a Yehudi, not even getting into boasting or bragging, understanding the Torah is our crown, understanding it's the pleasure of a Shem, and we're clothing ourselves in that, we're changing our thoughts, we're rectifying our minds, we're rectifying our imaginations, we're rectifying our speech and our deeds, and we're preparing ourselves for uh, revelation on revelation and we are truly Hashem's bride who expires in our soul as we desire to cleave and attach to Hashem I mean other than that what do we know and what do we know so to just kind of make that statement to conclude our time you know we don't understand 
uh, fully everything that Hashem is calling us to do. We don't understand fully of being one with him in his Torah. But are we seeking him? Or do we desire him? Are we expiring in our soul over our yearning and our passion for him? And do we worship him as opposed to worshiping creation? Do we walk in our own blindness or have we let him heal our sight? Baruch Hashem Adonai. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vechaye olam nata betokeinu Baruch Adonai Noten ha Torah Amen